This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Esther Thane. Well, you know, after many years of practicing um, kind of independently uh, and realizing there weren't not there weren't necessarily a lot of interventions um, and actual applications of music therapy uh, activities out there for the autistic community, uh, you know, as that saying goes, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. I started to uh, create my own interventions, my own songs, etc. Um, and slowly over the years, of course, they started to accumulate uh, into an actual curriculum. And I had enough information, enough uh, interventions that I could really um, put together an entire curriculum. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. I hope you're having a wonderful day and an awesome week. Today's conversation is a really great one with Esther, and I hope you're looking forward to it. We dive into um, her curriculum that she's put together with her her decades of experience in the music therapy field um, called Meet in the Music. So this is a curriculum she's developed over time that is specifically geared toward the autistic community using her um, experience working with autistic individuals and we talk all about that everything that's available um, how she was able to develop a lot of these interventions and goals and everything um, through co-treatment experiences and how the program makes data collection super easy. So this is part one of my conversation with Esther. Stay part two, stay part two, <laughs> stay tuned for part two, where we're going to talk a little bit more about um, her relaxations that she's developed over time and where you can find those. Of course, links to everything are always in the show notes, so you can check them out there. If you're enjoying the show, then you can please let us know by uh, leaving a rating and review. I appreciate those so much. I'd love to be able to read some more reviews on the other ends of episodes. So if you feel so inclined, please consider doing that on whatever um, app you're listening to this show on. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media. We're at Music Therapy Chronicles. And online, you can find us at musictherapychronicles.com. And that's a great place to jump on our newsletter. Um, newsletter subscribers are for subscribing to the newsletter. Uh, you get exclusive access to a self-care episode and downloadable worksheet that just walks you through how to make time for self-care and the, the most imperative parts of self-care in your practice. So self-care looks different for everyone. There's lots of conversations about, you know, fluff over um, function <laughs> in our self-care practices. So um, please consider jumping on the newsletter to get that. I also send out downloadables and insights and sneak peeks and all sorts of good stuff uh, at least once a month over on the newsletter. If you want to get CMTEs for listening to the show, you can find our pod course opportunities over at mtpodcastcollective.com and you can follow along um, MT Podcast Collective on all the social media platforms and jump on that newsletter as well so you never miss a sale, a launch, or any other fun stuff we have going on. All right, let's get into part one of my conversation with Esther. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Esther, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today with you. Thanks. Thanks for making the time because you had a busy morning with a big announcement. Well, it was actually a couple of weeks ago <laughs> at um, at the annual general um, uh, AGM meeting. So, gotcha. but uh, yeah, it was. It's still fairly recent, so it was really really nice. Awesome. Congratulations. So um, to start us off, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and it can be music therapy related or not? Certainly. Uh, I'm a music therapist. I've been practicing for roughly about 25 years. Uh, I live in Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada, and I run a music therapy company called ET Music Therapy. We have five fabulous music therapists that uh, service uh, mostly the autism community as well as uh, some individuals with diverse needs. Uh, we have two studio locations where we do our in-person uh, sessions and as well over the last year and a half with COVID, we also have widened our, um, our net to also doing online sessions as well. So that's been really, um, really interesting <laughs> to uh, expand into telehealth, mm -hmm. uh, but with, with really great success. So we're very excited about that. Um, I used to also be on faculty at Capilano University uh, for well, well over a decade, almost 15 years. And uh, I taught within the Bachelor of Music Therapy program. Um, I've uh, also taken um, Diane Austin's vocal psychotherapy certification. And uh, so that was really fantastic, a uh, new way of informing my work, uh, even with uh, the autistic community. Um, I also, uh, a big kind of um, specialization or love of mine has been uh, creating relaxations for kiddos with autism. And so I really researched and refined uh, a new method of relaxation um, called vocal led relaxations. And I published in Felicity Baker's um, book, Voice Work in Music Therapy, uh, a few years ago. I think it was in 2011, actually, so not, not quite a few years ago anymore. Um, and I've also uh, organized and created a music therapy curriculum for kiddos with autism and diverse needs called Meet in the Music. And that's hosted on uh, an enterprise level uh, documentation therapy documentation platform called Unitas TI. Well, that's a lot, <laughs> right? Busy, busy, busy. So um, when you reached out, you said you wanted to, to talk about your music therapy curriculum, but if there's anything else in there that you would like to dive into too, you let me know. So I'll let you take it from here, which avenue you want to go down. Sure, sure. Um, well, you know, after many years of practicing um kind of independently uh, and realizing there were not there weren't necessarily a lot of interventions um, and actual applications of music therapy uh, activities out there for the autistic community. Uh, you know, as that saying goes, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. I started to uh, create my own interventions, my own songs, etc. cetera. Um, and slowly over the years, of course, they started to accumulate mm -hmm. uh, into an actual curriculum. And I had enough information, enough uh, interventions that I could really um, put together an entire curriculum. And this was really helpful because as I started to grow my practice and uh, train different music therapists to come on board and join our family at ET Music Therapy, uh, I was able to use the curriculum also to train. Um, and it really decreased the amount of time that I had to spend uh, modeling, 
certain activities and interventions. You know, we all, you know, there's kind of a two-pronged approach to learning how to work with any population, right? It's how how to be with those individuals, all of the different criteria um, and considerations, you know, whether you're working with somebody in palliative care or in developmental music therapy like myself. Uh, so learning all of those ways of being with that client group. Uh, and then also pragmatically, what the heck do you do with them in sessions? So it was really lovely to be able to have a ready-made curriculum that I could kind of just offer to all of my interns and my new staff and say, here, learn this curriculum so that they could really on the first day of work have a, a large bag of tricks that they could implement uh, immediately with their clients in their sessions. Uh, so the curriculum is called Meet in the Music, M-I-T-M for short. And it really is a very holistic curriculum. You know, in the early days, I was getting my ideas from collaborating and training with a lot of different um, like-minded disciplines out there. So I was training with a lot of fantastic speech paths, um, occupational therapists, uh, occupational therapists that had specialized in sensory integration. I had done training in educational kinesiology. Um, I had read a lot, a lot, you know, from uh, Dr. Greenspan's work on floor time, etc., and really integrated a lot of those um, strategies and philosophies. Uh, into my work and saw it as a way to say, okay, how can I enhance the goals uh, that other disciplines are working on with our mutual clients and bring it into the music therapy realm? Mm. So the categories that uh, MITM really covers are all the traditional skill domains that we typically target as music therapists. So uh, the cognitive skill domain, communication, emotional, physical, social. Uh, there's a couple of other skill domains that are included in the curriculum, uh, such as therapeutic music instruction, which is essentially adapted music lessons. But I never really, I never really liked that term because I feel that us as a community of music therapists, we do a lot more than just adapted music lessons when we're when we're actually, you know, um, engaging in that type of scenario with our clients. You know, I think we we bring a lot of other strategies and techniques with our music therapy training to the table. Um, so I have to actually credit uh, my colleague uh, and actually one of my original instructors, uh, Nancy McMaster, for coming up with the name therapeutic music instruction for that skill domain. And then there's also, lastly, another category that the Meet in the Music curriculum includes, and that is a training videos category that has a certain number of videos of me working with certain clients and, you know, on items like uh, how to create curiosity in your clients, uh, how to establish trust, encourage vocal responses, vocal imitation, how to challenge flexibility, um, connecting through piano improvisation, etc. So the lovely thing about the curriculum is that it is organized within each skill domain with sub-skill categories, sub-skill domains. So for example, in the cognitive skill domain, we may have, um, oh, and by the way, the MITM curriculum, it really includes close to, I think at this point, close to 400 programs wow. uh, within, the, within the curriculum. And it's really separated into two different aspects within the curriculum. There's a goal bank uh, that has over, gosh, I think about 180 
preloaded music therapy goals and objectives. So ready-made goals and objective programs that you can assign to your clients already. Uh, and then there's well over 160, 170 actual interventions, songs, activities uh, that you can also utilize. And um, all of these programs, when I speak about a program, it includes the goals, it, it includes the objectives, it includes instruction, procedures, what are the materials that are required. There's also embedded in programs, uh, sheet music that you can view on the screen, you can print it off, uh, picture card manipulatives for certain interventions, audio files, um, modeling, videos as well. And since the pandemic, I've also uh, gone through the whole curriculum and tagged uh, all of the interventions and songs that can be used uh, within telehealth for online sessions. So for instance, in each, when I was talking a few minutes ago about the sub-skill domains, within each skill domain, you might have uh, many different sub-skill domains, like for example, in the cognitive skill domain, you're going to have programs uh, that deal with auditory discrimination, auditory processing, figure ground, sequential memory, joint attention, and then it moves to more um, concrete uh, programs that might deal with um, days of the week, body parts, facial features, matching numbers, colors, the alphabet, um, directional concepts, uh, positional concepts, etc. And each of those sub-skill domains might have 10, 20 different programs or interventions or goals within the goal bank that target those certain sub-skill um, areas as well. Wow. So you've really taken your your... 25, I think you said, years of experience and synthesized it to like in this nice package for anyone looking for where the heck to start. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's it's a great resource for new music therapists that are just building their bag of tricks, as well as music therapists who are seasoned and maybe just sick and tired of singing the same hello or goodbye song. You know, I think there's six original hello songs, six goodbye songs uh, included in it. You know, I think after a while, we all need to be re-inspired and uh, refreshed with new content to deliver to our, our clients and new ways of being with them. And of course, you know, there are a lot of music therapists that struggle with writing goals and objectives and being able to have this, this goal bank of, of you know, pre-written goals and, and objectives, it really kind of takes a load off, right? I've taken the guesswork out of it for you. Um, and at the same time, everything, because this is a cloud-based curriculum and goal bank, everything can be manipulated and edited. So, you know, if you like the wording of the goals, but you'd like to change some of the procedure areas, or you'd like to tweak things slightly within the programs, you can edit any of any of them. So it's really just there for you on a silver platter, so to speak. But yet, I really wanted to take into the account that every music therapist has their own style, mm. uh, their own way of wording things. So, you know, if you've got a client who really needs to work on impulse control, but you're not sure how to, how to do that wording, um, you can go to the goal bank and have, you know, five or 10 different programs that are all written uh, specifically for impulse control within a session or impulse control when taking turns or impulse control when the music therapist is playing an instrument. You know, a lot of um, autistic kiddos sometimes struggle with the ability to accept other people's music in, mm -hmm. in the mix. Um, it, it might be confusing for them. 
etc. So uh, being able to have all of those kind of pre-written goals there at your disposable at your disposal can be really helpful and can really increase your efficiency. Yet you can still refine everything within MITM to make it your own. Um, and I think that was really important to me uh, in the beginning when I was uh, loading this curriculum into into a cloud platform was to give that flexibility there because, you know, we've got music therapists that subscribe to the curriculum all over the world, you know, in Australia, in the United States and Canada. So everybody has their own way of wording things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to box people into a corner and say, here's the curriculum. You have to use it as is. So it's really there as, as a resource to help prop, prop you up in your work, uh, but yet still give you that flexibility to, to make it your own. Yeah, I love what you said about when you have like a goal idea, you use impulse control, and this is kind of like a, um, de refining it for you. And it's it's uh, with your experience having refined that broad idea for someone who, who might struggle to do that on their own. And I'm thinking about um, some recent experiences I've had working on IEP teams. Do you have IEPs in Canada? Yeah. You bet, yeah. <laughs> okay, just making sure. I didn't know if they were called something different. but Yep, same thing, yeah. Yeah, working on IEP teams and trying to explain to the team what I'm working on and why I'm working on it and then put that on the IEP in a way that is palatable for all the people who see the IEP and are kind of like, what is this music therapy thing to begin with and why are they addressing this? So that sounds like an amazing resource for someone in a position like this where, you know, you're kind of like, I know this is where I'm headed. I know this is what I want to work on, but I'm not exactly sure how to put it in a way that um, other practitioners will easily grasp and see the value in. I, I think you bring up a really excellent point, Tricia. Uh, you know, we can stand at nauseum at the door after a session talking to parents mm. or talking to teachers about what it is we actually did in that session and try to explain to them, uh, you know, what were our principles behind it? You know, why were we doing it? How were we addressing these goals and objectives? And, you know, for a lot of people, it's, it's kind of that traditional thing. Well, music therapy, you just have to see it yeah. <laughs> to understand it. And, you know, not everybody has that opportunity to come and see it. Mm -hmm. And when we're generating those reports, um, like you said, you know, to, to be able to add into a kiddo's IEP, it's really important to be able to give the person who's reading that the vision of, okay, here's the goal that we're working on. And this goal is going to look familiar to you. So, you know, it, it has some music therapy wording in it, but at the same time, it's very palatable. Like you said, um, it's important to be palatable so that people can read that goal and say, okay, yeah, I, I connect with that goal. I'm doing the same thing um, in my classroom. I'm doing that same thing in my OT session or my ABA session, but just in a different way. Um, and then be able to really convey and explain. So again, you know, instead of having that music therapist reinvent the wheel and write all of these things out, that's included in every program. So it's going to really give that reader of that treatment plan or that IEP or that clinical report, progress report that you've generated and you want to give to parents, for instance, um, an understanding of, all right, this is how I address that goal in the session. These are the kind of activities or experiences uh, that this kiddo was exposed to or engaged in, in that music therapy session. And another thing that I think was really important to include, which I noticed in uh, teaching in the music therapy program, you know, it's very interesting because I was a vocal instructor within the music therapy program, yet a lot of my students would come to me and want to talk about goals. And they'd want to talk about how to have measurable objectives, etc. Um, and often, you know, a lot of students will struggle, uh, music therapy students will struggle with creating splinter skills, you know, what we call splinter skills. So they're kind of just 
you know, casting the net and seeing what's going to land and see, you know, okay, is this the right targeted objective? Do I need to backtrack, et cetera? So also within the programs are fields like a prerequisites field. So, you know, before you're going to be working on uh, a child, I mean, this is a very obvious use case, but, you know, if you're working with a child and you want them to uh, be able to respond to you with two or three word utterances, they have to be able to respond with one word utterances first, you know, so and then you're going to build it into full sentences and then be able to uh, ideate their own conversation and engage in free flowing natural conversation. So as much as possible, what's included in the curriculum in each program within the objectives, they're all going to be listed in developmental order. So that is something that also takes the guesswork out of it for a music therapist who's using the curriculum. I did a lot of um, collaboration with speech pads and OTs, made sure that they looked over my programs. And I said, you know, is this the proper developmental order for a child who's, um, you know, learning how to jump, for instance. So, you know, we have one activity within MITM uh, that's called the jumping squares. And, you know, those those foam, those large foam jumping squares that have like the kind of puzzle cutouts, you know, and they have either numbers or um, alphabet letters on each of them. So we use them to encourage a child to jump from one number of of the jumping square to the next number. And we're reinforcing that with the piano accompaniment and we're working on impulse control because they're only going to be jumping the first beat of a four, four beat bar. Uh, And so where do you start with, you know, depending on your client and their assessment uh, results, you, you need to have a baseline and you need to be able to know where, where you should bring that client within all of the different levels of that activity. So you're not creating splinter skills. You know, if a child can't jump forward, landing two feet together, you're not going to start uh, with jumping sideways with a client. So within MITM and within that specific program, Uh, It's going to list all of the objectives in developmental order. So jumping forward, landing feet separately, then together, then landing in rhythm, jumping in rhythm, then sideways jumping, same thing, landing feet separate, and then being able to land together and then in rhythm, and then landing backwards, going through the same list, and then adding more complexity to that experience by creating a two-step sequencing process. So they might jump and then clap or jump and hit the drum. So many of the interventions within MITM are, are interventions that can be utilized with a client for well over a year plus mm. uh, because it's always pushing that client to the next challenging level at their pace when they're ready but it's it's that real encouragement where can we go from here so many of the activities and interventions have multiple levels within them and that's really evident by how all of the different objectives are listed so you know you might be working with a client um, and you might be just working on jumping forward and landing two feet together you know if they've got motor praxis issues you could be just working on that for six months before you even move to, you know, two-step sequencing, et cetera. So um, really, really being able to challenge that child in their development while being an incredible support to them as a, as a guide, a music therapy guide, as I like to call it is, is really important, but keeping the motivation for that child, um, is also really important as well. You know, Uh, one thing that we really try to embed in the philosophy of the Meet in the Music curriculum is this ultimate brass ring towards leadership. Mm. So, you know, the, the curriculum doesn't just end on imitation. Yeah, we know imitation is important, 
that's not where the buck stops, right? We want to go beyond imitation. We want to go towards ideation. You know, we want the client to come up with their own ideas. And as I mentioned, leadership. So ultimately, if we're working on um, an auditory discrimination activity, for instance, where we have, you know, a a whole array of different instruments, uh, maybe, you know, duplicated with the music therapist and the client on one side, uh, you might start out with, you know, identical instruments across from each other and you shake the maraca and then they have to look at their panel, their array of instruments and shake the maraca back. So they're imitating and following you. Uh, and then you're going to add two or three instruments to see if they can follow and imitate a sequence of three or four sounds or five sounds. Um, and then ultimately, when the client is ready, you want to create a barrier in between you and that client so they can't see your instruments and they have to really rely on their auditory discrimination skills and really hone those skills uh, to listen to that sequence of maybe three or four or five. You see, you're always building up. There's always more levels. Uh, and then uh, eventually move towards a leadership role well, where they are deciding and ideating, okay, I want to play this set of sequence of, of instruments for you as the music therapist to play back. That's incredibly empowering for a kiddo mm -hmm. to take the leadership role. You know, it requires them to understand the rules of the intervention or the activity. That in itself can be huge, huge learning for that, for that client or that kiddo. And then being able to learn how to be a supportive person to the other person, because this is like mentoring. This is like modeling, almost like, um, you know, in the Montessori method, both of my kiddos um, kind of grew up going to Montessori. And one thing I loved about the Montessori philosophy was that in each classroom, there was three grade levels. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, and you know, teachers were called guides, which is probably where I got the name from. They weren't called teachers. They were guides because, you know, if you had a classroom of grade one, twos, and threes, the grade ones were being mentored by the grade twos and threes. Um, and so it gave an opportunity for the older grades to really integrate their learning when they were teaching somebody else. Yeah. So, um, and also we have this kind of philosophy within MITM called gentle sabotage. Uh, so here, you know, always trying to be the peer mm. whenever possible and when applicable. So not always, you know, sometimes we have to be the support um, but when we can, especially when you're doing individual sessions, it's really helpful to take on the role of the peer. So if in this scenario, um, when we're doing imitation of instrumental sequences, the music therapist gets it wrong. That's, that's what we call gentle sabotage, right? They get it wrong on purpose. Mm -hmm. Then what will the kiddo do? Are they going to freak out, you know, if there's some rigidity there and no, I didn't play it like that. Or how supportive are they going to be? Are they going to be able to remember the sequence that they just played for you to play it again to help encourage you to get it correct the second time around? Uh, so there's a lot of learning that can take place in the leadership role. And of course, it's very empowering because when we're the leader, like if we take another uh, scenario or an example, when we're doing creative movement to music, we often always incorporate the clients as being the leaders. You know, if we're doing creative movement to music, we put on uh, maybe a classical piece of music or a slow Enya song, for instance, and we're going around the group in a group setting and having each child take the role of the leader. It's incredibly empowering right? When you're the leader and you're creating movement, whether it's a minimal movement, whatever we can do with our heads, you know, if we've got limited motor control 
or if we've got more elaborate um, motor uh, different, you know, positions and, and dance moves to see and see that reflected in the room with everybody else imitating us. There's a lot of a lot of self-awareness learning that can take place when we see what we have expressed, whether it's verbally or non-verbally or corporeal, uh, seeing another individual imitate what we've just done. If it's an, if it's created in a positive environment that can really, uh, really be empowering to the individual. So as much as possible, that is what, you're ultimately moving towards within MITM are those opportunities for leadership or uh, opportunities for ideation of that client's own ideas. So if we're doing animal role play and we're moving around, having the client be the animal, come up with a story, uh, et cetera, and really empowering that, uh, that cognitive ideation and expressive ideation to be honored to be imitated back and reflected back to the client and, and create more of a collaboration um, type interaction between the music therapist and the client. Yeah. I remember in my undergrad training, I had a supervisor once she said that um, when you really know you've like, you've connected and you've made it is when you're in the music and you can't tell who's leading. You know, it kind of just like goes back and forth so organically. So um, I love that that's kind of what you're saying, too, is like, yeah, sometimes you're going to be the leader. Sometimes you're going to be the peer. But like when you can both get to that point where, you know, it just flows together. That's that's secret sauce right there. It's beautiful. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I want to circle back unless you have a thought. No, go ahead. You've mentioned a couple of times that you were able to uh, collaborate for like co-treatment ideas with this. And I think that that's amazing because so many of us are music therapists are kind of isolated in a box. Um, You know, we'd all love to be able to talk to OTs and PTs and speech paths and collaborate on ideas and get their, their thoughts on progression. Where do we go from here? That's what you said. So it's amazing that you've created a resource that allows people that insight, uh, even if they don't have it personally. I think that's, that's really cool. Yeah, I you know, I was I was really honored to kind of be open to that or exposed to those those um those ways of being uh and and the knowledge and expertise of other disciplines. Many years ago I was working at a at a treatment center um for autism and we had a really great format that was really supported by our senior staff. We had sessions that were, um, now this might be too long for a lot of music therapists. And I, I have to admit, I mean, our sessions are an hour tops. Uh, but at this particular treatment center, often our individual sessions were two hours long. That's a lot of time. And what was really interesting is that right from the beginning, this treatment center believed and endorsed in collaboration. Mm -hmm. So often our sessions, you know, I would be doing a music therapy session and the speech therapist would come into my session and enhance and support me in my music therapy session. And then vice versa, I would go into the speech therapy session and support and enhance her session with certain strategies of music therapy. Mm. So those looked quite different, you know, when the speech path was coming into my session and enhancing what I was doing within my interventions, she was training me on how I could spotlight and highlight certain things by how I was directing verbally with the client. And then when I would come into her session and she'd be playing a game with the client, I could add a musical component to it and teach that speech path how she could very easily incorporate music into her sessions to reinforce certain strategies and skill sets uh, that she was working on with that kiddo. So kind of right from the beginning of my training after graduating, um, 
and and my first job i was really exposed to that multidisciplinary way of being and realized that also gave me ideas for creating interventions um, when i had a better knowledge base about what a speech path does what an slp does what an ot does uh, how can i incorporate educational kinesiology how can i incorporate naturalistic learning and different positions that a child is in when they're learning so not everything has to be in a sitting upright position mm -hmm. uh, etc you know how can i incorporate vocal psychotherapy strategies and techniques even when working with um, the autistic community. So I was really lucky and I was really blessed to, to be exposed um, to all of those kind of multidisciplinary um, people, you know, and really great therapists at an, at an early age in my career. Yeah. And that kind of just, you know, spiraled and continued spiraling throughout. How cool. I'm jealous. That sounds like so much fun. Since this telehealth stuff, I've been able to, to co-treat uh, with, again, on these IEP teams. Some some of the kids, the screen time is too much. So having us co-treat is a way to get all the services in with without as oh, much yes. screen time. And, yes. uh, it, you know, so much. I'm like, I want to be in person, but still doing this because we, we learn so much from each other. Um, Absolutely. And I wish we could do it more. <laughs> and we never stop learning. You know, I yeah. think that's the thing is, is in, in the field of music therapy, as, as in all fields of, of therapy and education, you know, I feel like we're always just scratching the surface yeah. of, of what we can know because philosophies also adapt and, and evolve over time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like even a simple thing like when I first started, we still used to use the terminology low functioning and high functioning. And, you know, now when we reflect and look on that, we realize, wow, that was so ableist and it was so labeling and it was so non-empowering of the potential of the autism community and so non-respectful. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, so many things change and evolve over time that, you know, it's really important not for us to get set in our ways and to really be open to, you know, going out there and just calling up a SLP, calling up an OT and saying, hey, can I come and observe in a session in the same way that we have students, music therapy students, calling us up and wanting to observe in our sessions. Or, you know, they're just thinking about going into the music therapy training mm -hmm. and they want to see what a session looks like. You know, there's no there's no reason why we can't be doing that as well, um, you know, and and reaching out to like-minded professionals and saying, Hey, can I just come and observe? Or, you know, can I pop on in one of your zoom sessions and, you know, just keep my video off and watch what you're doing and get some strategies. Um, you know, and I always try to within our team, when we're doing staff training, do the same thing. You know, we just finished inviting, uh, an OT, who's kind of spent her life with sensory integration and the autistic community. And she came into our staff meetings and our staff meetings, by the way, have always been on zoom um, for a long time, even pre pandemic, just because my staff, they work seven days a week. Not everybody works seven days, but we offer music therapy services seven days a week at both of our locations. So we, you know, everybody has uh, kind of, scattered schedules and it's next to impossible to find a day that everybody actually isn't working yeah. at that time. Yeah. Um, and then having to bring people in on their days off, I feel really guilty about that as well. So we actually start every Monday morning with uh, a quick check-in staff meeting and it's only 20 minutes long and it's very relaxed. It's very casual um, we do housekeeping, et cetera, but it, it kind of refreshes everybody and puts everybody on a, on a good note before they start their therapy week. Mm -hmm. So when we're doing trainings, you know, I'll just kind of ask them, okay, can we make the training an hour earlier? Um, you know, come on, on that zoom meeting an hour earlier right now, because we're still doing, um, all of our trainings, you know, online and then invite that paraprofessional to come and talk to my staff. So 
you know, you never know what you're going to get, um, what your takeaways are going to be, but you know, they're going to be rich, mm. um, in content and everybody's going to take away a different thing from that training. But I think, you know, it's really about reaching out there to the paraprofessional communities and saying, Hey, you know, I'd like, I'd love to come and see your work and you're welcome to come and see me as well and create these collaborations and these relationships. So like you said, so we're not just working in isolation Mm. all the time. And yeah, that, you know, that takes some effort because we don't always have the time to do that. Um, But, you know, just kind of setting a task for yourself, maybe even once every six months to just say, I'm going to make it a plan or goal that I'm going to try to get out there and observe another paraprofessional once in the six months. Mm. You know, even that is going to help inform your work and just give you even one or two little tidbits of how you can uh, be with your clients in a different way. Yeah. Oh, how cool. How cool. Um, I love hearing business owners talk about how they've created a team atmosphere and how they they make that work. Uh, it's always inspiring. And it's good to mm-hmm. know that so many music therapists out there are, are being supported in that way. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I wanted to to go beyond my team mm-hmm. to support the music therapy community, which is really what I was able to do with the MITM curriculum. I want to be able to support music therapists out there who don't have any new fresh ideas or they're not sure how to write goals or they want to gain more funding Mm -hmm. or gain new contracts. Um, You know, I think a real drive for me over the last 25 years has been to be more evidence-based, you know, and we always talk about this buzz term evidence-based, but what does that actually mean? Uh, And knowing that really we're going to be able to um, solidify more contracts and more funding if we're able to properly demonstrate the efficacy of our work, the Mm -hmm. efficacy of our services. And that's really tough to do. Um, traditionally as a music therapist, right? I mean, a lot of what we're doing is is tough to show um, quantitatively. So one thing I think that was really important to me was including, and again, not boxing music therapists into a corner to have to use it, but one element within the MITM curriculum uh, is that it includes a rating scale. So a music therapist could choose to, if they feel comfortable, uh, to do more quantitative data collection. Uh, But at the same time, sometimes quantitative data collection can scare our community a little bit. And I wanted to make it palatable again, right, Um, for for the music therapist to become more evidence-based. Yet at the same time, within the Unitas TI platform, which is where the MITM curriculum is hosted, you also have the option to do qualitative narrative session notes. Mm. So again, you're not forced into documenting in one way. But what I wanted to do was offer that option and offer a more effortless option to be more, to take quantitative data. And it doesn't mean that you've got to sit down and plot graphs. It doesn't mean that you have to sit down and do hours of assessments and hours of quantitative data and try to figure out some sort of correlation. You know, that's the beautiful thing about the cloud and using um, an enterprise platform. It has all of those psychometrics built in under the hood. You know, so my rating scale is a very simple four point rating scale, you know, one, two, three, four, and there's criteria, scoring criteria for each of the four rating scale points. And what makes it really convenient is the fact that the rating scale is applied across all the programs. So close to 400 programs, you know, 180 plus goals and and objectives in the system, 
they're all based on the same rating scale. So it's not even a 10 point rating scale. It's a four point rating scale. So, you know, within the first week of using the rating scale, if you're doing quantitative data, when you're documenting, uh, you learn those four points very quickly. You memorize them really quickly, you know, was, was so-and-so doing a two or a three or a one or a four when it came to crossing the midline mm. or engaging verbally within the session. Uh, and that really increases the efficiency. You know, my staff, they really do their documentation after a session in like five minutes or less. And they're able to just, you know, tap on the screen if they were a two, a three, et cetera. And it's going to be consistent across all the thousands of objectives in the system. And, you know, there's there's programs that allow you to do uh, frequency data collection or duration data collection uh, that I'm really excited about. Uh, you know, I really I'm a believer and I know all music therapists have different ways of documenting. Um, personally, I am a believer in documenting mostly after the session. You know, I want to be present and attending to that client the whole time in the session. Mm -hmm. I, you know, that's, that's just my philosophy. So how can you take frequency data or how can you do duration data and remember that after the session? Well, here's how, how I kind of suggest that people do it. You know, if you've got a parent who's watching or an aide you know, in the school system, and they're sitting off to the side, you can call up a frequency program on your phone and pass them the phone and say, here, can you click on this button every time Sally, the client, looks towards me in my direction or engages in spontaneous vocal exploration and uses her voice? Now, you don't need to be a therapist to take that kind of a data. And at the same time, I, as the music therapist can, can stay completely engaged with that client and a helper or an assistant or a parent or caregiver is going to be off to the side and just going click, click, click every time they see that client, you know, how cool would it be after a six month period to look at the graphs and the results of how often a client was um, engaging in dysregulation, somebody who was screaming and vocalizing and showing they were dysregulated. How cool would that be after six months to see that line de decline mm. and decrease? You know, it used to be 30 times in a session and now it's only less than five times or down to one time. That kind of data can really easily be taken during a session, if you've got an assistant in the room or teach a student, a practicum student or an intern and such great learning for them to take on that role during the session. Um, so all of that is really there for the taking within the cloud curriculum. And it will, it will generate instant graphs and results that will, when you're generating that report, include those graphs, include the, the summaries and the interpretations and the goals and the instruction area and the materials that required so that you're really creating the big picture, a whole picture for that parent or that school district to see what it is you're doing and realize, wow, they're doing some serious work and look at the actual effects that are being done without that music therapist having to plot that graph, right? Yeah. It's all done automatically for you um, on the Unitas TI platform. So it also makes generating reports incredibly easy and incredibly fast. You know, you mm -hmm. shouldn't need more than 15 minutes, uh, 15, 20 minutes to, to generate a clinical progress report on a client. So it kind of, you know, the curriculum is there and having it being on the cloud as a music therapy cloud curriculum, it allows you to do the whole full circle, you know, look for interventions, learn new songs, interventions, have all of the resources at your fingertips, all those picture cards, all the sheet music, everything you need as a professional music therapist to deliver that intervention 
and then an entire goal bank so that you can generate treatment lists or you know supplemental lists to include into a child's IEP and then be able to generate the reports, the results, the psychometrics on the efficacy of what you're doing with your music therapy um, services. So cool. Um, I love that those kinds of things are available so that we can spend our time doing what's more important. <laughs> Not, I don't want to say Ex what's more important. Right? Like where our skill set actually lies, you know? Right? Um, you don't have yes. to so much energy into graphs and plotting and yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, this is, this is, we did not go to music therapy school <laughs> so that we could plot graphs, right? Sure? We did not, you know, I mean, I, oh, you know, I have to say thank you to all the music therapy researchers out there that do have a research based mind. Mm. Um, thank you so much for all of your service and your efforts because without the music therapy researchers out there, we wouldn't be able to advance our field but this is a very a, a very easy way for the traditional music therapist who isn't interested in doing research and who isn't interested in you know having to be bogged down on a weekend you know we have the saying within uh, the MITM curriculum on Unitas TI you know take back your weekends yes. and you know we didn't go to school to to spend weekends writing reports mm. we we want to do we want to make music right we want to be with clients we want to make music and make them feel good and help them along in their journey whatever journey that is however it is important that we are able to convey the efficacy of our services and not and not only suggest, oh, come and watch a music therapy session to understand what we're doing, but to be able to convey that to those boards, those board of directors, those, you know, upper echelon, those resource student services directors and school districts, uh, those directors and therapy centers, uh, to those parents, to paraprofessionals, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the seriousness of what we're actually accomplishing with our yeah. clients. And, and so for me to be able to offer that to music therapists through using MITM and the United STI platform, it, it's a real easy way, uh, an accessible way for us to push and propel our industry and our community forward in society to, to really demonstrate the efficacy of our work. And it can be a real game changer. And, you know, I know a lot of music therapists that subscribe, um, they have gained contracts, new contracts, they've won contracts, um, you know, from other music therapists in competition when they've put in proposals to work at certain autism schools, et cetera, because they've included you know, mock data uh, from Unitas TI and MITM and saying, you know, look, this is what you're going to be able to get as a therapy center or a private private school. You're going to not only get my music therapy services, but you're going to get real proof of the efficacy of what it is that I'm doing. You're going to get real graphs, re graphed results. Um, and, you know, those aren't the most important things only, mm -hmm. you know, being able to show a graph with the line going up. Of course not. Um, but it sure helps. Yeah. It sure helps. Um, and being able to, to hand in those kind of reports, it really shows that we can be as serious of professionals as the rest of the therapy community out there. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, we don't just need to write a narrative report and say, well, we made this client feel good, feel yeah. good. You know, we can we can actually convey look, through music therapy, this child actually has learned how to cross the midline. This child has learned how to identify emotions in another individual. You know, these are huge milestones that we know we accomplish with our clients, right? We, we've seen these success stories, but it's not necessarily enough for just us to see them. Mm. Uh, we need others to see into our magical world and be able to join us in 
uh, advocating for our profession. And so I think that's, you know, something I feel very honored that as a result of being part of this platform um, and having my curriculum on the platform, that I can help with other music therapists' success um, in, in advocating for ourselves uh, and our community and our profession. Oh, beautiful. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you for your work. Um, oh, my so pleasure. And so helpful, obviously. Thank you, Tricia. Thank you so much for tuning in to um, our episode this week. I hope you're looking forward to part two with Esther, which will be out soon. And again, we dive more into her relaxation series um, and some other cool stuff that um, she's cultivated over her years of experience. Links to everything are always in the show notes. Um, if you're looking for another way to support the show, you can find us on Patreon, um, patreon.com slash music therapy chronicles. Patrons have the exclusive opportunity to ask guest questions. And another great way to support the show is by checking out our pod courses over at mtpodcastcollective.com. Um, every podcast purchase supports the show, supports MTPC, and um, being able to put out more content with other podcasters so more podcasts can exist. It's a, a circular thing. And it also enables us, enables us to um, donate to music therapy scholarship opportunities, and we're really proud to be able to do that. As always, find us online and on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles. And if you or someone you know is interested in being on the show, let me know by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Today's quote is, Kindness is loaning someone your strength instead of reminding them of their weakness. Mm-hmm.